The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Uh, speaking of the house of the Lord, we're going to be talking about the house of God today because uh, Jesus has a lot to say about it. But last week, I just want to start out, um, last week we talked about passion uh, and we looked at how passionate uh, the early believers were. The early Christ followers were so passionate and we got a, an awesome view of how passionate they were and what that expression of passion looked like. And today we're going to get to see how passionate Jesus is about something that's very close to his heart because passion, the way passion works, uh, it's usually something very close to your heart that you're passionate about. Even if you're not like a super passionate person, there are certain things in your life that you know you're passionate about. Well, last week we saw the disciples, the followers of Jesus getting very passionate about praise and worship of Jesus the Messiah. And today we're going to see Jesus get super passionate about, about the house of God, about his father's house. It's literally his father's house. And that's something very close to his heart. Jesus has historically been, since the beginning, passionate about his father's house, passionate about the church. Um, the church is a word Jesus first said in the Bible. It comes up the first time when Jesus says it. And he says, on this rock, I am building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So Jesus said, church is my idea. It's mine. It belongs to me. I'm building it and hell won't be able to stop it. So Jesus is passionate about the church. He's passionate about the house of God referred to as the Father's house. Now, uh, many of you guys uh, just recently celebrated Thanksgiving. How many of you guys got together with somebody, family or friends? Oh, come on. That means some of you stayed home all by yourself. I doubt it. Come on. How many of you guys? Uh, okay. So you got together with friends, family or neighbors and you celebrated and gave thanks, which is awesome. And pretty soon on Christmas, some of you are going to be getting together with friends, family, neighbor. In fact, some of you will even be flying home, going home for, anybody going home for Christmas? Okay, going home for Christmas. And that's that epic thing. It's like, even if you can only do it once a year, you try to get home for Christmas. You try to get to your mother and your father's house and you try to be there and try to do Christmas uh, the best you can. That's uh, been a tradition in America for a long time, trying to get home uh, for Christmas. There's even been movies about it, about getting home for Christmas. And I want you to imagine something for a second. Say you're going home for the holiday. Say it's, for example, the Thanksgiving holiday, and you're going home for Thanksgiving. And you go a long distance to get home, get to your father's house for Thanksgiving. And when you get there, you get there early in the day, you get there before all the rest of the family shows up. They're going to come later, but you're the first one at your father's house. And when you get to your father's house, you get off the plane, you get to take a, whatever, you take an Uber or something, you get there, and as soon as you pull up to the house, you are blown away. You're shocked. You're completely floored. Because what you see, and I would show you if our graphics were working, what you would see is a massive garage sale that somebody put up in front of your father's house. And you're stunned. It's massive. There's stuff everywhere. And you're baffled because it's Thanksgiving Day. And you traveled a long way to your father's house. And so you go inside and you say, Father, is, this isn't your garage sale, is it? And he said, no, it's not. Well, why are these people just here? I don't know. They just show up and keep doing this. They've done it before? Yeah, they, they just show up at my house and they put all their stuff all over the place and turn it into a marketplace. What would be your next move? What would be your next move? 
You walk into your father's house. People know they shouldn't be setting up a garage sale on your father's lawn, but they're doing it all the time. And on Thanksgiving Day, you travel the long way to get to your father's house. The rest of the family's coming very soon, and it looks like a circus. What is your next move? You're probably not going to go outside and join the garage sale, are you? No. You're probably going to go out and talk to somebody. How many of you guys would be a little zealous about that? Anybody be zealous about that? I would be zealous about that. I'd be like, what are you doing? You can't just come on my father's house and do this. You didn't even ask permission. And you come back selling stuff on my father's lawn. That's wrong. And you know it's wrong. You would be zealous about this. And the reason I bring that up is because that is exactly what's going on in the passage today as we go through the book of Matthew. Jesus goes to his father's house and he travels a long way to get there. And he gets there earlier than the rest of the guests. Most of the rest of the guests are on their way in. Jesus gets to his father's house early and it's looking like a circus, just like it would be for you. The difference is, it's not just your parents' front lawn. This is his father's house, the house of God. And so Jesus gets very passionate about that. And if you have a Bible with you, if you can open up to Matthew chapter uh, 21. And uh, we are going through this book right here, and it's really, really cool. A couple things I want to say about the house of God historically uh, to bring this into light. Uh, Again, Jesus is very passionate about the house of God. Uh, Today we have varying views about the house of God, about church, about what it represents, how passionate we are for it or not so passionate, whether we jump in and we're committed to it or we step back from it. The pendulum tends to swing in modern times, in modern Christianity in the 21st century, but I just want to tell you, Jesus was passionate for his father's house, very passionate for his father's house and for the church. He looks at the church as his bride. He loves the church. And uh, it's something, it's actually just like this, guys, your house. When you think of your house, where you live, where you stay, whether it's an apartment or a condo or it's a house somewhere, your house, your dwelling is a reflection of who you are. Your house represents who you are. In other words, if you love food, when people come over, there's probably a lot of great food for them. If you like a lot of fun, there's a lot of fun for people who come over to your house. Uh, If you have a super clean house, you probably have everyone taking off their shoes before they step in, right? Um, This is every, your house is an extension of who you are. Some of you have prayer meetings in your house. Some of you have amazing life groups in your house because your house, where you live, your house, is an extension of who you are, and your house is an extension of your priorities. The same is true with God's house. God's house is an extension of who he is, and God's house is an extension of God's priorities. And there's a few things I just want to summarize about God's house, which was God's idea and God's purposes and and God's intention is for us, plurally, and this has been going on for 3,500 years, the uh, 3,000 years of the people of God coming to God's house to literally meet with God, meet with God. And after we meet with God, to leave God's house changed, to literally leave God's house where he's done something inside of us. Because when you have an encounter with God, you can't really be the same again. Can I get a witness on that one? When, if you meet with God, now I'm not saying everybody meets with God, but I would say you can meet with God. You have to be willing and you have to desire to meet with God. And God says, if you are willing to draw near to me, 
I am willing to draw near to you. And historically, for 3,000 years, believers have been coming to the house of God, to the Father's house, and they've had encounters with God and the very presence of God, and they've left forever changed. And that is what's happened with God's house. It's a place of the house of God, the Father's house. It's in a place of assembly. It's a place historically where Israel always got together. The family of believers in the New Testament, since Jesus rose on a Sunday, they got together on the first day of the week. Every first day of the week, they would gather in assembly. So the house of God is a place of assembly. Another thing it is, it's a place of unity. The Bible says every tribe, tongue, and nation is what the church looks like. That's through the eyes of the Father. That's how he sees his children. Every tribe, tongue, and nation united together. In fact, the Bible says there's no Jew or no Greek. There's no difference in the house of God through the lens of the Father's eyes. It's a place where we praise and worship together. 3,000 years of this we see through church history and in the Bible of people coming to the house of God for focused praise and adoration on a whole nother level, just like we do this morning. Uh, The house of God is a place where God's word is declared over us, where God's word comes alive. There's there's, There's the reading of God's word, which is timeless truth and breathed by the spirit, speaking life into our lives. This is what's happened historically in uh, the house of God. It's a place where God gives understanding. You can be coming to church, asking God, seeking God, and get understanding. You can get revelation in church. Many times I've come to church and been in a place of even worship or during the message Uh, where all of a sudden God just reminds me or shows me or reveals something to me, speaks in a still small voice, as the Bible says, and you get wisdom or understanding or discernment or revelation right from the heart of God when we're meeting with God. This is what historically has happened in the house of God. It's also a place where prophecy lives on, where God's speaking his word, not just his historic word of prophecy, 3,500 years of written word of God, but also the spirit of God still speaking today to his church, uh, never uh, going uh, opposite of this, always agreeing with this, but what is the spirit of God saying to the church today? The Bible says, he and she who has ears to hear, let them hear what the spirit is saying. And that is, that is meaning that prophecy does live on and God does in fact speak uh, to his children. And it's also a place where we bring our offering. The, historically, the church has been a place where the offering has brought Malachi, bring the whole offering into my storehouse, God says. He says, my house is my storehouse. Bring the offering in so there'll be food in my house. And we even see Jesus as he's training the disciples how to be disciples. He brought them into the temple that we're going to talk about today. And he had them sit there in front of the treasury, which is a kind of an odd scene. And they're sitting there in front of the treasury and they're actually watching people put their offering in the treasury. And it's just interesting to me, this random scene of Jesus and the disciples saying, guys, come here, I want to show you something. And he's showing them, and they put their money in the tubes, and it would run down these things, and it would make a lot of noise. And what he focused on is, is the widow who came in with a mite. And it wasn't the amount, but it was the portion. She was putting in a big portion. And he was celebrating her portion because where her treasure is, her heart was. And she was putting in a big portion. And she says, guys, did you see what happened? And that came after some rich guy just loaded it like a slot machine, loading it like Vegas, like loading it. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I'm not talking about that. He only put in a little ounce of his heart. But, but this lady came and she pulled out that one little mite and she slid it in there and it rolled down the thing. And Jesus is like, hey guys, did you see that? That was awesome. And this is all going on in uh, the house of God. And this is what I want to encourage you to do this morning. I, I encourage you to, to write some of these things down. The heart 
the, the house of God is very close to Jesus' heart. It's very close to Jesus' heart. It's not always super close to our heart. Some of you it is, some of you it's not. Some of you, you're kind of neutral on it. But I think this is important as a Christ follower that you and I line up with Jesus and we line up at the heart of Jesus. And I think part of doing that is understanding his heart for the house of God, for the Father's house. So if you're a note taker, I encourage you to write down a few things or put them in your phone. You can talk about them later, later, pray about them and say, God, where do I fit with these things? But the first one is this, and this is important, is, is if we have a heart for God, we should have a heart for God's house. If we have a heart for God, we should have a heart for God's house. That's what Jesus is going to be showing the disciples today as he comes into Jerusalem. You can have a heart for God and you believe and you're following, but let me tell you, Jesus is going to show us, God's house matters a lot. It matters so much, I'm about to get very passionate about it because it needs to live on and breathe in a certain way because it's supposed to be a life-giving mechanism. And I'm not just talking about a building, although historically the church has met in buildings for 3,000 years. The church and the, and the temple was literally in buildings unless it was time of persecution and the church went underground meeting in homes. But it's always meant in assembly on a Sunday for 2,000 years and also in homes in the book of Acts during the week. So the Bible tells us the assembly on Sunday and meeting at homes during the week. That's 2,000 years of Christianity. But if we have a heart for God, we should have a heart for God's house. And I think he's showing that to the disciples today. And if you consider yourself a disciple, I think we all need to take that to heart. Because again, we're, we all vary in our, in our ideas or persuasions or passion level for the house of God. Some people, well, it's an option, whatever, and, you know, walk around it. Other people are like, well, no, it's kind of part of my life. And some of you today, I know your heart, and I've watched and observed, and the Lord sees you. He sees your devotion to the house of God and God's people in the house of God. You know this is a place of assembly. You know it's where people gather to honor God, and you jump in, and, and you're a gatekeeper in the house of God. Whatever your role is, you're teaching children or you're helping with worship, you're coming to help or with hospitality or prayer, you know there's an assembly, you know it's the house of God and you are uh, invested in the house of God. Why? Because if you have a, house, a heart for God, you should have a heart for God's house. Now the setup in Matthew 21, if you guys have your Bible, you can turn there or on your device. Um, we're picking up where we left off uh, last week. And the setup is this, uh, Jesus is traveling a long way, as we said, he's coming in on Passover week, he's got the whole week in Jerusalem and then Passover weekend. On Passover weekend, Jesus goes to the cross. So this is Jesus' final week before the cross. And in Matthew's gospel, he does a lot of teaching, but he just came in on Palm Sunday, uh, we read last week, and this week we're about to see Jesus actually come into the temple as others from around Israel are on their way in, but Jesus is getting there on the early side and there will be more and more and more people coming during the week and literally next weekend on the chronology of this, Israel is just going to be jam-packed and the focus, the focus of everyone is not just coming to Jerusalem, it's coming up to the temple. It's coming to the Father's house. People are traveling from all over Israel. In fact, it was law, Jewish law, that three times a year you had to go travel all the way to Jerusalem up to the house of God, to the Father's house. And all of the other Sabbath days, you would meet in your local synagogue. So everyone met in the synagogue throughout the week, but three times a year in Israel, you would come up to the, the temple, and that's happening on Passover week. So Jesus is 
there early, uh, and people are starting to all roll into uh, town. Jesus came with a big crowd on Palm Sunday, so people are already on their way in. And it says this in verse 10 is where we're picking up today, Matthew 21. It says this, it says, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. Say house of prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Again, once again, a very passionate story about something that Jesus is very passionate about. Again, this would be like you coming to your father's house and seeing people take advantage of it. And you're the first family member there and you see people completely take advantage of your father's house. You would absolutely and you should step in and correct things and make them right because that's taking advantage of the father in his house. Jesus is doing the same with his father's house. Again, not your father's front lawn, but his father's house, his temple where the people are to gather. And these people... <clears throat> we're traveling a long way to get to this temple, and some of them brought their gifts with them, and others bought their gifts. So some brought their gifts, but others bought their gifts, and everyone came to the temple with their gifts. Now, the problem was, or the issue, the concern, if you lived around Jerusalem, you might have the local currency, but if you came from far away, part of the law was you need to change your money into the proper currency to buy your gift, so that it has to do with the worship in Israel, and commerce was part of that. Now, the problem is the money changers were absolutely ripping people off. They were ripping people off. And the people's heart, if you read like the Psalms, it's to get your heart ready to go to God's house. And if you read the Psalms in the Bible, all these songs, some of these songs about how to get your heart ready on your way to God's house. And you'd be traveling with your friends and family, neighbors, kids, whoever you might have in your group, in your posse, and you're, you're walking to God's house and you're singing these songs, all getting your heart ready. And this is the way worship was in Israel. Everyone's singing these songs of ascent as you're ascending up to Jerusalem. You're singing these songs along the way to get ready. And all of a sudden you get there and you either brought your gift or you had to buy your gift. But a lot of people didn't want to travel a long way with an offering, so they bought one. And these people, the money changers, were ripping people off. It'd be like people getting ripped off right, right in the entryway, coming in the door. Like everyone had to come in because you had to be in God's house. But they were getting ripped off. And this has been going on at the Father's house. And no one's done anything about it. Jesus is very passionate about this. So they're doing this. They're ripping people off. And then their animals, the animals are being sold inside the temple area instead of down the block somewhere. Instead of down the block. So instead of the temple looking like a place where you and I would meet God, instead of the temple looking like that, it's looking like a public zoo. The temple's looking like a zoo. And instead of people, these faithful travelers coming and have an encounter with God, their, their experience is not that at all. Their experience is kind of like buying a used car, <laughs> which surveys have said some of the worst experiences people have ever had is buying a used car. How many don't like buying a car or a used car? Anybody? Yeah, it's just the, like, what are you dealing like? And the money price keeps changing and the, you don't even know if the car is good. There's all this stuff going on with buying a car. And that's why some people just get fed up and buy a brand new one and just keep paying for 15 years on that car. But the point is, a lot of people don't like the process because it, it's such a, you know, so much tension in the process. 
And these people, faithful travelers from all over Israel, coming up just to have an encounter with God. They're getting ripped off with the money changers. It's looking like a zoo. It's smelling like a zoo. And instead of an encounter with God, they have to deal with this kind of used car transaction. Uh, And this is what it's going on. So Jesus is filled with passion. Uh, A prophecy in Psalm 69 about Jesus the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, it says this about him, zeal for my father's house consumes me. It says about Jesus, when Messiah comes, one one of the scriptures that will indicate who the Messiah is and what he'll be like, the ways to identify him, Jesus fulfilled them all, and there's tons of them. One of them is zeal for my father's house. Like, I am zealous, this is wrong, and I'm not just going to look the other way. This time, I'm not turning the other cheek. This time, I'm stepping into this, and I will speak the truth in love, and I, have to, I see something so wrong, I have to be involved in making it right again. Some of you encounter things like that in your life. There are some things that don't deal directly with you, and you watch them, you observe them, and you go, wow, I don't know why they're doing that. It might bother you, but you don't feel like it's your place to step in. Have you ever seen that? Right? Observe that. There's something going on. It's not. You don't feel it's your place to step in. Maybe it's not. But sometimes you see something and you feel compelled. I think this is my place. I need to step in. And that's what Jesus is doing here with his, with his father's house. And so this was an amazing thing. And he is filled with uh, a righteous anger. Say righteous anger. Righteous anger. A righteous anger is you're not angry because of your flesh. You're not angry because of your pride. You're not angry because of anything like that or just an emotion or anything like that. The Bible says in your anger, do not sin in James. In your anger, do not sin. So we all get angry and God knows we get angry. But what we do with our anger matters monumentally. And in your anger, don't sin. So we can be angry, but find something creative. Pray, vent, do what you need to do. But don't sin on people or against people in the anger. That's the difference with anger. And Jesus, in this case, is filled with a righteous anger. His anger isn't because someone bumped into him. His anger is not because somebody offended him and said something bad to him. His anger is not because somebody around him disappointed him and he had a higher expectation. His anger is, this is my father's house We've got tons of scripture on how we're supposed to keep this right and keep God in the middle. And yet it's, a, it's like a used car lot and a, and a circus and a zoo all at the same time. And Jesus steps in as the son of God, representing the father with a righteous anger to correct all the wrongs here. Again, the scripture, zeal for my father's house consumes me. So let me ask you this. We're Christ followers, right? Can I get a show of hands? Any Christ followers in the room? Amen. It's one thing to believe, it's another thing to follow. There are many who believe. You can ask people around the world, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, I believe he came, and, and that's good. But following Jesus is a whole other thing. I want to remind us of something. The one that we are following, we should be modeling, amen? I mean, the one we model, we should follow in his love and his forgiveness. And we fall short, but the one we're following is the one we should be modeling. And the one... We're following, it is said of him, zeal for my father's house consumes me. So I have a question for you this morning. Uh, Does zeal for your father's house consume you? Consumes Jesus. Does it consume us? I say that because I think the apostles are learning a lesson right here going, wow, the house of God matters and we can't put up with a bunch of nonsense. It can't just be sloppy and crazy and everyone looking the other way at at God's house. And uh, maybe you've had experiences with church or with faith in the past where you've seen things go down in church that shouldn't have gone down. That's exactly what I'm talking about. 
are, are, the, are the leaders, are the congregation, is the body, is the, is the priesthood of all believers, are we aiming high at keeping the house of God, the house of God? Or do we look the other way and not really, really care what happens to it? Um, I think that happens more often uh, than it should, and I think this is something very close to, to God's house. Zeal for our Father's house should uh, consume us. And uh, just as an action point, just to make it very practical, how would this apply to you? Uh, when you come to church today, when you come here to Metro, you come to church from walking in to the fellowship, to the prayer, to, the, um, to, to enjoying the message, to the worship time, to the children's ministry, what do you see in your heart? What do you sense in your heart is missing? What do you see, what do you sense is a deficit? Now here's where maturity comes in. Immaturity, we'd look at the deficit and go, yeah, I'll tell you what the five problems are here. The five problems is, you know, they run out of coffee, and uh, I like Pete's coffee instead of Starbucks. And, you know, you can, we go down a list with a list of things that are missing. But maturity would say, I see something missing, and I think I can step into that. That's what maturity would do. If we have zeal for our Father's house, when you look around, you see deficits, you see things missing. I know, Jeremy, we were just talking about setup team as we transform this like a tabernacle into a house of God, seeing something missing and going, I can step into that. And I pose that to you sincerely this morning as a Christ follower. If you see something missing, there needs to be more prayer. Maybe get involved in the prayer team. There needs to be more of this. Maybe join hospitality. There needs to be more of this. Maybe help out with sound, whatever that might be. Wherever you see a deficit, maybe God is showing that to you, but not for a purpose of critique, a purpose of solution to step in. Because zeal for my father's house should consume me. And that's what's going on uh, right here in this. And then it goes on, and, it, and Jesus says, here's the thing about this. And he's looking at what's going on, and he, he switches the whole focus. He goes, this is not what it's supposed to be. He says, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. Um, in uh, Luke's gospel, it says a house of prayer for all nations, for every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what my house is supposed to be. So the church is a powerful place where we unite and we ask God things. Jesus is saying we're supposed to get together. We're supposed to ask. Some of you are asking a lot. Some of you aren't asking very much. And, and the Bible says you're supposed to ask. You have not because you asked not. And we're supposed to get together in unity, in agreement, in faith, trying to line up our heart with God's word the best we can. God, these are your promises. This is what it says. I'm believing you, and I'm going to pray for that right now. I'm praying that for me. I'm praying that for my friend. I'm praying that for our neighbor who's struggling. I'm praying that for the city. Uh, because your word says these things, God. And I want to pray and ask. I want to invite you into our situation, God. And I, I want to seek you on behalf of others who maybe don't know how to seek you on their own. So I want to seek you on behalf of others. That's what intercession is. Intercessory prayer is stepping in on behalf of those who aren't or cannot or will not do it themselves. And maturity as a Christ follower steps into this mode of not just praying for our needs, which is a very base level of prayer. That's a great place to start. But we move into a mature thing where we go, I want to pray for the needs of others and I want to pray for the things I see. I see deficits. I see needs. I see problems. Oh, they need freedom over there. Oh, somebody needs healing over there. Or somebody needs um, uh, sobriety over there. Lord, they have an addiction. I want to pray for that. Or somebody is struggling financially. God, we want to pray for an open door for their job or whatever it might be. And we, we step into these things of, of, of prayer. Jesus said, my father's house uh, shall be a place, place of prayer. So the second point this morning, if you're a note taker, uh, is this. Uh, in God's house, in God's house, prayer is where it all begins. 
In God's house, prayer is where it all begins. Do you think they had a prayer meeting up at the temple before they set up the money changers and uh, all the, selling all the animals and turning it into a circus? Does anybody think they had a prayer meeting? They probably didn't have any kind of prayer meeting. They probably didn't want to ask God for permission because they already knew it was wrong and they knew God wouldn't bless what they're doing. So they kind of left God out and they did what they wanted to do. But a prayer meeting is inviting God in before we take a step. Before we do anything, we invite God into our into our situation. So in God's house, prayer is where it all begins. Philippians 4, 6 says, all things through prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God. The Bible is telling you, make your requests known to God. A lot of people, I talk to people and they, and they feel like, ah, I don't really want to pray for me because I just feel like it's like selfish or something. The Bible's saying, no, make your requests known to God. All things through prayer and supplication, all the issues, situations in your life, bring it all to the Lord with prayer and thanksgiving. Thank Him for something and be grateful. We don't come critical like spoiled children, but become as grateful children. And, and with, with thanksgiving and praise, say, thank you for this and this and this. But Father, God, would you help me with this, Lord? I need this right now. And the Bible says we are to make our requests known. Now, here's what's cool about this passage. Jesus steps in. He is zealous in a righteous anger. He, he removes everything that is wrong and sinful. The people ripping everybody off, he throws them out. All the animals, the people who made it into a circus, and they were also ripping people off on the animal because you traveled a long way and you had to get an animal and they're the only ones with an animal. And so with supply and demand, so everybody was getting ripped off in God's house. All the sincere pilgrims, all the sincere God seekers were getting ripped off. And Jesus comes and drives them all out. Just get, guys, get all your stuff and get out of here. There is no place for it. Just like you cleared out the front lawn at your father's house. If there was a big garage sale they keep setting up on Thanksgiving Day, you'd say, no, sir, God, you were all taking advantage. Pack up your stuff and everybody leave right now. You didn't get permission for this and it's not okay with my father. So you need to leave right now. And Jesus came into his father's house and says, all this mess, it's not okay with my father. Take, you never ask permission, and it's actually against his word. Take all this stuff and get it out of here. And this is what's cool. You know what immediately happened when Jesus cleansed? You know what immediately happened when Jesus purified? Right after Jesus cleansed and purified, power, power was manifest. The power of God. I would suggest to you, you're not going to, you're not, I'm not, we're not going to experience the power of God in a compromised environment. Do you realize that? In an environment, yes, we all fall short, but if we don't try to get back up, if we don't try to aim right, if we don't try to repent or to turn or ask God to forgive, if we don't try to do what Jesus did and cleanse, if something's messed up in your house and you know it's messed up, it's a pattern going on and you know it, like you know it, maybe nobody else does, but you know it. It's hard to ask for prayer and get everything blessed when you know something's wrong. Now, when we slip and fall, God, forgive me, and we get back up and we walk in grace, and that's the beauty. But when we know there's a pattern and we don't do anything about it, very rarely will you experience the power of God in a compromised environment. Jesus sees the temple completely compromised. Jesus cleansed and purified the temple the first thing we see after he cleansed the temple is the power of God manifest in the temple. And I think it's noteworthy for all of us. It says in verse 14 that the blind and the lame came to him as soon as he cleared everyone out. Get all this junk out of here. 
No more car sales, no more zoo, no more circus. All the sin is out. The second that happens, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So as soon as these things were removed, the great things started to happen. Isn't that cool? As soon as the compromise was removed, the powerful, profound things began to, to happen. The first thing that happened is there was room, first of all. Before that, there was no room for people to really get in. You had animal cha- money changers. And, and as soon as you cleared that out, now there was room for the blind and the lame to come in. There was room for them in the house of God. Come, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. There was room for them. And now there was an environment for the miraculous, an environment that didn't seem to exist with all the sin cluttered in the situation. And that theme we see through Scripture about God uh, telling us about purity and at least aiming for purity. Even though we fall short, we, we know who we're following. We get back up and we keep walking. We keep repenting. Whole, our whole life is this process of repenting. We change our mind and change our ways. Every day we do. Something comes up. I got to change my mind about that and change my ways. See, if you just change your ways, you're only trying to modify your behavior. And so am I. And that's not a bad thing. It's better than nothing. But it's better that we change our mind about it. Change our heart and mind about the situation. God, you say it's not good. Help me to believe it's not good. Help me make it personal because I know this isn't good for me, God. We change our mind about it and then we change our ways and it's easier to stay with our ways changed if we change our mind. So repentance starts with our mind and our heart and then our actions. And if we invite and allow this stuff in our life, we won't see the power of God. But the opposite is true. If we get intentional to try to get things off, to throw off the sin and the things that easily entangle us, the Bible says. The nets that come our way, oh, let me throw that one off. Or we can just leave it on us. Just keep walking with it. And we're compromised. And we're not living in the power of God. So the Bible talks about throwing this stuff off. So here's, here's the point, guys. Sec, uh, third point this morning. In God's house, purity opens the way for power. Purity opens the way for power. The same is true in your life. The same is true in your house as well where you live. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He's telling Israel, look, I don't know about you guys. You're going to have to pick. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Joshua's like, I can't make the decision for everyone. But he goes, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's how we're going to roll. And we're not perfect and we'll mess up, but we are committed to the mission. We're committed to the long run. We're going to serve the king. When we fall, we're going to get up. We're going to get right with God and we're going to keep moving. If we fall again, we're going to turn. We're going to get up and we're going to keep moving. But we're not going to live in an environment of compromise and just look the other way. He said, we're not going to do that because in God's house and in your house, uh, purity opens the way for power. And so uh, this is what's going on. And in fact, 1 Peter 3 talks about, if you want to read more about that, 1 Peter 3 talks about when there's sin in our life, the kind of sin that we we're just not getting rid of it, we just leave it there, we don't deal with it, um, that that will actually block our prayers, hinder our prayers. And uh, for you gentlemen that like football, I love the analogy, you burn the clock down to the end of the game, someone's ready to kick a three-pointer, you're down by one or two points, you're ready to win the game. You march it down the field, the clock is out, five seconds on the clock, and all you do is just, boop, kick that, just little short, little chip shot, Game over, and so many games are won that way. So many games, if you watch weekly highlights, are won by marching down the field, running the clock down, and just that little short kick. But this passage is saying, if we're living in sin and we're not dealing with our stuff, that our prayers will be hindered. So that little chip shot that is so easy to do, so easy to do, that you kick it and all of a sudden a hand comes up, tips it. 
And you're like, no, no, it didn't go through. We didn't get a win. We didn't get a win on that one. It got hindered. The ball got hindered. The Bible says what's in our lives, when we leave it there, our prayers can be hindered. And this is important, guys, because we're talking about God's house, but this applies to your house as well. How many of you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You guys know that? Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the other thing we know about God's house, these guys came in, all these people came in. Once they cleansed the, um, the, the problems, the sin and the compromise, all of a sudden, those in need came in. And the beautiful thing that happened is they were met by the power of God and people got restored in God's house. So God's house, the, the fourth point this morning is God's house is a place of restoration. Restoration happens in God's house. There's amazing restoration. If you're here today and you even sense areas of your life that you need restoration, I really want to encourage you to come up and see our prayer team. Um, just say, hey, everyone is safe and, and trustworthy and they love the Lord. And just say, hey, here's a problem I'm struggling with that I need restoration in, whether it's an experience or a memory or a current situation that's a problem for you in some way. It's weighing you down. It's uh, maybe it's an unforgiveness that you've tried to, but it's kind of haunting you and whatever it might be. And this, this can be really um, even magnified around the holidays. Around the holiday time, a lot of things come up in people's lives. From our experience, from our past, from our whatever it might be, things kind of can get, uh, you know, they can be elevated sometimes. So if you have something brewing up in your life and, and you don't want to carry it or, you know, uh, maybe you're going home for Christmas and you don't want to go home. Well, there's something going on there. And God says, do business with me today. I'll do business with you today. Come and deal. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Work through these things. Work through these things. So the house of God, God's house is a place of restoration. The passage finishes up this way in verse 15. It says, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, he replied, have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city of Bethany where he spent tonight. So last week on Palm Sunday, as the people were coming in, the religious leaders were very mad that the people were singing out praise to Jesus. And now here we are today in the temple, the religious leaders are mad that the children, the children are singing out praise to Jesus. Here's the irony. The religious leaders are mad and Jesus is overflowing with joy. I think one of the most joyous things to Jesus is hear praise come out of the lips of children. Do you realize that? Listen, guys, to have praise come out of the lips of children. Sometime I'm driving my kids or my daughter and her friends in the back seat and they're singing something. I'm like, yes, it's awesome. It's so awesome hearing the praise come out of the lips of children. And Kenny and Janine, who do a wonderful job with our children's music program, you're going to be hearing them for Christmas time coming up and singing a song uh, from their heart that they love and they're practicing and they're singing. There's something about raising your kids in the ways of the Lord so that they, they hear these kind of things, that they become part of their life, that praise is on their lips, that it's natural and liberating to praise God rather than some foreign concept like some of us had to learn way later in life. Did anybody have to learn praise way later in life? Yeah. And it's a little awkward because you're like, I wasn't raised this way and what are we doing? And why are we doing that and how come? It was for me, I was kind of critical. Like, I don't understand why people got to stand up and why are people raising their hands? And, you know, this was my issue. But if you're raised in an environment like the book of Psalms are, when you're raised bringing your child to the house of God at 
30 days old, uh, they're going to be raised in the admonition of the Lord and it's going to be liberating for them to be singing praise on their lips. It's going to be a natural outflow of raising uh, children. So the, the next point this morning, and it's, I believe, our, our, our fifth point. I'm just going to wrap this up real quick if the worship team can come up and uh, it'd be great. God's house is where we intentionally impart to the next generation. It's intentional. God's house has been doing that for thousands of years where we intentionally impart to the next generation, where we get very intentional with giving away the kingdom of God, the heart of Jesus, the word of God. And it's a place, and, I, and when it doesn't happen, um, kids don't get these critical things. They don't get this enforcement. It has to happen at home. But the house of God and the celebration is amazing a way to equip and to encourage um, our younger children. And uh, the last thing I want to share with you guys is this scripture right here. And this is one really the Lord put on my heart that I, I feel I need to share with you as a summary to this whole passage. Um, it says in Psalm 9, uh, 92, Psalm 92, verse 12 and 13, uh, it says this uh, critical thing about the house of God, uh, but it refers to you. And I, my prayer today is that you take it to heart because um, I've taken it to heart. And our worship team, we're just going to play music in the background because we're going to do something uh, with prayer in just a moment as we wrap up. We want to wrap up as a house of prayer this morning. Um, but it says this in Psalm 92, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of God. The Bible is saying that the righteous ones, the Christ followers, the people following the kingdom of God, the righteous will flourish and they will grow, listen, if they are planted. Everybody say planted. That's God's word saying that. God's word is saying if you and I are planted in God's house, that we will grow and we will flourish. That is true. They've done experiments with palm trees, planted three palm trees. After two years, they took one out and replanted it. The other one, after five years, they took it out and replanted it. The other one, they left it there the whole time. And then... Two years later, they planted that other palm tree again, and then five years later, they planted the other palm tree again. And they did a series of tests on these palm trees. The one that was planted and wasn't uprooted grew towering high and healthy. The one that was uprooted every five years got knocked down. For some reason, its growth got stunted. Same soil, same kind of sunlight. It just didn't seem to grow because it kept getting uprooted. And the one that was uprooted every two years was even smaller and less healthy than all the others. Why? Because God's word is true. Those who are planted in God's house will grow and flourish. And I know this in my years of, as a pastor of counseling people and, and encouraging people in the ways of God, that there are some people, and you have friends and family, you, you know people, they were planted in God's house at one time. But something happened, I don't know, maybe a disappointment, discouragement. Maybe they got busy in life. Maybe they'd rather play sports on Sunday than go to God's house. I don't know, or watch a football game. But whatever happened, they're not growing and they're not flourishing. And the reason they're not growing and flourishing is because they're not planted. And God says those who are planted will grow and flourish. And so I've seen that from experience. I see it in scripture. I think science substantiates this. In, in, in a plant growing sense and I think we can, we, we can see it just as a fact so in closing I want to do this something a little different Jesus says my father's house shall be a house of prayer my father's house will be a house of prayer we don't normally do this and I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable but I want to ask you to do this how many of you believe that Jesus wants the father's house to be a house of prayer 
Okay, okay. And, and it's not something some of us are good at or some of us pray all the time, some of us pray sometimes. Some of us might pray privately but never out loud with somebody. I want to ask you to do something, please. I want to ask you all to stand up and find a group of three. Four at the most, but three. Don't do anything bigger than three if you can. Try to do three. If you have to do two, do two. And I just want you to do this because the Lord is saying, my house will be a house of prayer. We're just going to play some music in the background. We'll close with a chorus. We'll close with a chorus in just, just a few minutes. This won't be long. But just tell somebody next to you what you would like prayer for. It can be for yourself. It can be for our church. It could be for this city. Say, I would like prayer for this. And if you're not really good about praying out loud, just say, I want prayer for this, but I'm not that good at praying. They'll, they'll pray for it. They'll pray for you. You don't have to pray if you don't want to. Just tell them what you want prayer for. If you're willing to pray, then pray for them. If you feel uncomfortable praying, then just receive prayer today. It's okay to do this. But my house shall be a house of prayer, the Father says. So let's take our prayers. It's like one big bowl of incense right now. We're putting a bowl of incense before the Lord and we're lighting it up. And the Spirit of God has taken these prayers and requests and bringing them right to the throne of the Father. And I believe you can trust in faith today that God's going to answer prayers. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.